Hallelujah to the King of Kings. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians, if you would please, either your Bible or your smart device, whatever you're reading and hopefully following along with. 2 Thessalonians, uh, for those of you who are new or visiting with us, uh, we completed several weeks ago a study out of 1 Thessalonians. It was natural for us to continue in the second letter to the church at Thessalonica, a church that was under the gun. We'll find that out in just a few moments, but uh, this is the second um, installment, if you will, the second uh, sermon in this series on 2 Thessalonians. We'll be reading verses 5 through 10. The title of this message is The Righteous Judgments of God. Verse 5, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Father, these are weighty words uh, and also encouraging words. We thank You that uh, Your judgments are clear throughout Scripture from the beginning to the end. We're thankful that today we have an opportunity in this little New Testament book that was written almost 2,000 years ago, but that has uh, incredible meaning for those of us who are gathered here at Heritage. And I pray that you would be glorified as we study through this. I pray that you would open uh, the, the eyes of our hearts so that we might see these things that are so important to Paul, and they should be very important to us as well. So we thank you. We uh, are encouraged that your Holy Spirit is here, resident inside each of us who knows you, and uh, that you will lead us into your truth for your glory and for the good of your church and for the advance of the gospel in the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. was out of town last week, and uh, as always happens, and this, this happens a lot, that when I'm with people and they know I'm a pastor, and particularly when I am with fellow pastors, which I had an opportunity to be this past week, the, the question comes up, how's the church? Now, th there was a time when I used to answer that, well, it all depends on who you ask. But more and more, this is what I am saying 
to people who ask that question, particularly in, in light of what all this last year has brought and the, the situations around us, what those things are bringing, I have the opportunity to share about our fellowship. And I usually, usually do it very quickly, and it goes something like this. I am so blessed to be at the church that I serve, and God is doing a work. I am so blessed to work with the staff team that I have that works here every day. Folks, such a blessing to have a guy like Jim Jackson to preach to you, to minister to you, and all of the rest of the guys, the men and the women on the staff, they do a great job. I further tell them I am blessed to work with the elders with whom I work. And in fact, we have an elders meeting after this service today. You might pray for us. It's always a great time, good engagement, good interaction. But I, here is what I've been saying recently. And the reason is that I, at least in the last several years, I don't know that in the church in America, there has been more opportunity for polarization than in the last year. And by the way, it's going to continue. And so one of the things that I share, I am so grateful that across the board, across the board, that our people are filled with great grace. It's not always easy because we have strong opinions that sometimes run from this side of issues to that side of issues, but what I have found, again, by and large, it's not 100%. It'll be that way in heaven, but for right now, I am good with the level of grace that is being shown between brothers and brothers and sisters and sisters and brothers and sisters and all of the rest. And so with the Apostle Paul, as I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, if someone would have asked him about how's the church at Thessalonica, I think he would have said something like what I just did. He starts out in verse 5, and he's going to compliment them. Let me break it down for you, okay, this passage that we're going to try our best to get through. I don't know, but I think we can by about 3 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, I think we'll probably be wrapping it up. But th there's a lot of stuff here. And here's what I've done. Take your, your outline, your worship guide, and... Uh, I don't have it up here with me, but I can remember it, okay? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to be talking about the righteous judgments of God, and in verse 5, we're going to be talking about how those, by the way, God's judgments are always righteous. I'm going to say that several times. You just need to know that. You need to feel that. You need to have that parked inside of you, and so we're going to talk in verse 5 of how God is working in the church and in your lives individually through suffering just like he did in this church. And then we're going to talk about the great, grand conclusion that all of this is based on that he talks about and that's coming again, and that is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That'll be in verses 7 and 8. And then we're going to switch it up a little bit. I, I read to you in order what Paul says, but it's really kind of 
He weaves it together. And so I'm going to pull out, and you can see in, in the worship guide, you can see that there are verses that are listed. What I'm going to do first of all is talk about how God is going to, when the Lord comes back, He's going to give relief to His people. Well, we'll just kind of expand on that. And then we'll finish up, if indeed we finish up today, uh, we may push some of this into next week, but we're going to talk about the righteous judgments of God when He brings retribution on those who reject Him, those who are not His people, when Christ returns. So let's jump in. Verse 5, sufferings and afflictions are a sure evidence of and benefit to our salvation. That should not surprise you. We talk about that a lot. Why? Because Paul talked about it a lot. Second missionary journey, this very journey that, that, that Paul and Silas were on where he was planting churches like the church at Thessalonica. Here is one of the things that he did. Now, by the way, this is an encouragement. Get a picture. He goes into the church. He plants the church. He, he, he probably picks out leaders, elders to lead that church, and then he's going to be gone pretty quickly. And he says, oh, by the way, th there's something very important that you need to know for your own benefit. This is something that God's going to do among you. It says they strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, even as these believers at Thessalonica were doing, and saying that through many tribulations, and that's why Paul makes this plural here, that we might enter the kingdom of God. Our entrance, now, parenthetically, you and I may not feel it like they're feeling it in other parts of the world, but there are those around us, I'm talking about good people, not crazies, who are saying, even in our country, where we have enjoyed so many freedoms, that we could be very well past the tipping point, and there could be a, a, a pressuring of the church, and that's why Paul talks to them. But by extension, I want you to hear this. I'm not a doomsayer. This is just a reality that Paul encourages us about. And for good reasons, we will struggle. And I'm talking about not just as a church, but I can look around from this side of the room to the other. And many of you in here recently have experienced loss and challenges and, and, and employment and financial, all the rest of those kinds of things. And God uses those things. C.S. Lewis said this. I love this. God whispers to us, in our pleasures. Pleasures are not bad unless they're idolized. He whispers to us, I'm giving you these good things. But he speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is the megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, what does he mean by that? Simply this, that when the world sees those of us who are in the church dealing with our own pain in a righteous way that sees God's hand in it, then He will be glorified. And that's what He's been doing in many of your lives. He's been using the megaphone of pain to get our attention as something 
Jamal was leading us in our in our ABF class this morning. I, I thought, wow, Jamal, you really you just nailed one of the things that I'm going to start out by saying. He said, it's probably at our lowest times that we learn the most. God has a way of taking our pain, and if we're true believers, He draws us. He gets our attention. He was doing that in Thessalonica. He's doing that to many of us today. Now, He said, these things are a clear evidence. They are a proof, a, a, a sign, now watch this, of the, of the righteous judgment of God. Okay, you need to see this. This does not mean that, uh-oh, I'm in trouble with God. God's judging me because even though I'm saved, even though I'm a Christian, I've gotten out of line. This is not punishment from God, this righteous judgment. It is not us trying to earn our salvation. And it is, please hear me, some of you, it is absolutely not that He has abandoned us Amen. or rejected you. And I talk to Christians all the time who feel like that. It is proof positive that God through Christ has judged our sins. And so with pain that sometimes feels an awfully lot like punishment, but it's not, He's doing something very very wonderful. Let's look at a couple of verses here that, that you, most of you know these verses. And I've, I've condensed these. I've left out a, a part of, of these, th this passage in Hebrews chapter 12. But I want you to see this. We start with Jesus and His example. Consider Him who went through persecution, who suffered from sinners. He suffered hostility. Consider Jesus. Whenever you start out with whatever you're going through, don't start with your pain. Start with Jesus. And then he goes on in just a few, he skips a couple of verses, and he says, look, Christian, have you forgotten the exhortation given to you as children, as sons and daughters of the Most High King, my son, my daughter, don't regard lightly. Now, I've, th this, I usually use the ESV, English Standard Version, but I wanted to get the, the right nuance of the word. I think in the ESV it uses, are you guys looking at that? Discipline? It, it's, it's really a stronger word, okay? Discipline is a good word, but let's look at a stronger word that is also used. Don't take lightly the fact that the Lord is going to chastise you. Not because you're in trouble, but because you're a son. Don't be weary when you're rebuked by Him. Every one of us gets off track, we get out of line, and it's His love as a Father that brings us back to that. He goes on, the Lord chastises, there's that word again, Whatever you want to use, this, this is a strong word and even a stronger word coming up. He chastises who? The ones that he hates? The ones that he's abandoned? The ones that he's rejected? No such thing as if you're a believer. But he chastises the one that he loves and he scourges, whips, 
every son whom he receives. And here's why. He, he does this for our good. So that we might share in his holiness. Okay? Holiness is whatever you're going through as a believer. Christ has already been punished on Calvary's cross for you. You need to know that. Please get this in, in your mind and in your heart. I... I really think that there are a lot of people, a lot of Christians I know, who think, who feel, they don't think it because you've got sound doctrine, but you feel it. You feel like God is mad at you. You feel like God is in a bad mood. All of us either have known or we have friends who've had fathers that were just kind of in a bad mood. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, cranky, wake up on the wrong side of the bed, and somehow we, we, we transfer that over to God. God is never moody. God is never cranky. God never gets up on the wrong side of the bed. He's never out of sorts. God is a Father who loves you, and every stroke that he allows to happen to you is for your good so that you might grow in holiness. And, and there's just, I wanted to go back in the book of Hebrews and remind you of one other thing. This is why, this is why if you understand this, you can come near to God, not just every week. Please, don't, don't save up your sins until Sunday so that you come in in a bad mood and you can't hear anything else or sing because you've got all this stuff, this junk stored up. This is why every day, every morning, if you get up and read your Bible and you pray and throughout the day as you're driving or whatever else you're doing, you're working with confidence. That, that word is so, it's so beautiful. It's a boldness. You, you can with boldness and confidence draw near at any moment to the throne of grace to receive that mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. God loves you enough to say no. I know I've told this story, but there are enough new people. I usually look around and say, okay, when was the last time I told this story? There are enough new people here. I'll go ahead and tell it again. So if you've heard it, that's all right. It's a great story. Seminary professor of mine, Dr. Bill Toller, he's with the Lord now, uh, told this uh, of, of his, his little girl when she was just real little, and he's standing in the bathroom and he's shaving, okay? Now, he was using a safety razor. Anybody old enough to know what a safety razor is? Not the disposable stuff that we use today. This is the kind that has the little screw on the bottom and it goes open like this, and then you take a razor, a double-edged razor blade, and you, you, you put it in there, and then you close it. I see some of you smiling. Ed, have you actually used one of those? You're that old. You still have one. Okay. Brian, you have one? Too? Okay. All right. Maybe they're making a comeback. Retro is in, you know. So he's in there shaving one day. He's just changed the razor blade. He took the old one out, put it on the, the edge of the sink. 
he was going to dispose of it in a safe way. And all of a sudden, there's a flash out of the, and some of you who have small children, you can really kind of relate to this. He sees, he just sees something out of the corner of his eye and instinctively he reaches down and grabs the hand, the wrist of his little girl, his little toddler, who's reaching up. She's walked into the bathroom and she looked up and saw that shiny thing and she wanted it. He grabbed her hand just in time. Her little fingers were spread out. And he said, a battle ensued. And she went, uh. He went, uh. <laughs> went back and forth a couple of times, and he won because he was bigger. Now, would a loving father, students, young adults, older adults, would a loving father do less? And sometimes the things that hurt us when God has said no or God has said wait or you're going through this time of discipline that you just cannot understand. And there are times when you just need to know that God does what he does for your benefit. So that you can share in his holiness, so you can always share, also share in his glory. Now, Paul was no stranger to affliction, right? I mean, that guy, he, he got whooped up on a lot. Look what he calls it. Put it into perspective with what you and I go through. This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us, not just holiness, that we are, are holy like him, but also an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison of what we are going through right now. God is using pain, His righteous judgment in your life. He's using pain to draw you into a more intimate relationship with Him, to make you and me more like Jesus, to, to let others see, watch this, the glory of people that love Jesus more than anything. They're even willing to suffer. And it ultimately leads to hope. We need a lot of hope these days, don't we? So, let me see. That last one? Okay. Uh, let me say one more thing about this. Affliction cannot destroy true saving faith. It only causes it to grow. And so that's why I said what I said at the very beginning in my introduction, talking about the church and, and talking about your life. God never evaluates your life. He never evaluates the church on purely external forms, like buildings, numbers. That's usually, when people usually ask me, well, how's the church? They're usually asking, um, how are your finances? How are your numbers? And are you being innovative? Are you using good staging and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? He doesn't evaluate us on all that. It's not that it's bad. He evaluates us on our growth in holiness and in glory in being more like the Lord Jesus. Let's move on. The second coming of Christ, wow. I, I, I just don't know how to put this into words. It's the culmination of history. 
Now, there's history and then there's redemptive history, right? Uh, that's a gotcha. There's only one kind of history. God made everything, and so the only kind of history that we, are, we have to do with is redemptive history. And the second coming of Christ is the culmination of all of history. It is the zenith. It's the top. It's, it's, it's whatever word superlative that you want to use. In any book, the end of the story is the most crucial and compelling part, and this is an event that is going to be seen by everyone. I mean, even with our technology, this was written, by the way, Matthew wrote this before we had the World Wide Web. I just, I just don't think God has to have our technology in order for everyone in the world to see it when Jesus comes back. And they will see it. Now, if you notice that, what does it say every tribe? That's every little people group. Why does it say they'll mourn? And that's for the, the second part of this. Why, you got any ideas? Why, why does it say they'll mourn? Well, and I didn't put this down, but in Revelation, you might want to write this down, Revelation 1-7, it says here's why, because they're going to see that they pierced him. Well, uh, they weren't there that day, yeah. In a representative fashion, Revelation 1-7, every eye will see him and they will mourn because they'll know I took part because of my sin in the rejection, the crucifixion of Christ. Now, what's Jesus going to do when he comes back? He's going to balance the books. Mm. He's going to balance the books. We got a little bit of a reprieve, didn't we, on our taxes? One month. When you look at that, sometimes you say, whoa, I, I'm, I'm going to have to balance the books. Well, look, God is going to balance the books. His judgment is going to go both ways, and it will, listen to this, it will give to every person what he or she deserves. In other words, everyone is going to meet God. Sometimes we don't think like that. We, well, we're the ones who are going to meet him, and the people who don't know him, they're not going to meet him. Uh, yes, they are going to meet him. And there are a lot of people who might hear that, and maybe they're struck with the reality of it, and they would say something like this, I'd rather not. The king who is rejected and executed in shame will return in glory, bringing resurrection and reward and retribution and judgment with him. Something else is going to happen. We'll work out the time factor and all of the, 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 the details later. But this, oh, oh, don't you long for this? This sin-stained cosmos does anybody listen to the news? Do you, do you grieve over the things that, that sin is causing? We, we put different adjectives and different modifiers on it. This is the cause. Ultimately, it's because sin has stained the cosmos. 
And guess what? When Jesus comes back, that sin-stained cosmos, this sin-stained cosmos in which we lived, is going to be dissolved. And we're going to get a new heavens and a new earth. The King, Jesus, who is coming, will banish forever the usurper, Satan, who right now at least is given some freedom to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. He will forever be banished in the lake of fire. And one more thing that we were singing about a few minutes ago, the church, the bride of Christ, will join the bridegroom at the wedding feast. That's us. John MacArthur said, said these words. I didn't put it in the quotes there in your worship guide, but I saw it afterwards and I thought this is good. Redemptive history, again, the only kind there is, will end with the same precision and exactness with which it began. The how might be debatable, but the fact that it's happening is not. Now, here's something. Did you notice something else that it says? When Jesus comes back, he's going to be coming with someone. He's not going to be alone. This is pretty cool. And I don't know that you, you realize. It's not going to be just Jesus coming back. He's going to be coming with his, watch this, mighty angels in flaming fire. It's not the only place it talks of that. Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in glory, and all of his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Now, do you realize that the angels have two jobs to do? Did you know that? We're going to look at that in just a second. Are you, I, I don't know. I, sometimes, you know, I, I was sitting there studying this week and then this morning, and I thought, Lord, how does this translate? How, how do the words on this page and then the words that I've written down translate into the hearts of people? Will they get excited when I start talking about the second coming? You remember taking trips with your kids? And about, uh, let's see, right out of the driveway... What would the kids always ask? Are we there yet? How much longer? Now, you know, it's easy for the kids. I was thinking about that. It's so easy for the kids because eventually they just fall asleep. And there you are, dad or mom, whichever, and you're driving, and you begin to think, how much longer are we ever going to get there? And finally, the kids wake up and you're there. I, You know, so many trips to... Red River, New Mexico, and coming around that last bend, we'd wake the kids up and say, we're here, and Katie, I'm looking for some excitement on your face, okay. Someday, someday the, 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 the heavens are going to split. I, I just, I get, I, I'm literally getting chills thinking about Jesus coming back and this myriad, I, I, un, innumerable angels in flaming fire. And in that split second before something happens to us, whether you're saved or lost, in that split second, every eye 
is going to behold it. And everyone will say, oh, man. Some will be saying, oh, man, this is absolutely fantastic. And some will be saying, oh, man, it's too late. I should have listened to that preacher when he was not, not just the preacher. I should have listened to the Word of God. See, our, our, the second coming is talked about in these two books, First and Th- Second Thessalonians, as much as any other concentrated place. But we don't need to argue over the, the, the winds and all of that. We just need to make sure we're ready and then do our best to help others be ready. So, let's look at the two things that he's going to do, and the angels are going to be involved in this. The first thing, God will give relief to his people when Christ returns. That's really the second thing in this passage. I'm I'm putting it at the first so we can just talk about the whole thing. He's going to be revealed as the Savior and Deliverer. Now, he starts out this whole passage by saying, He considers it just. He considers it just to give relief, is what he's saying. This will help us with with the proper perspective in the midst of oppression and persecution, because you've got to know, whatever is going on around us, this is only part of the story. And and I don't know where, I, I really don't. I know where a lot of you line up. I've talked to some of you. But here's what it looks like. It looks like that those who oppose God and oppose the gospel and oppose Christians in general in this world have the upper hand. But God is working behind the scenes, orchestrating human history to accomplish all of his purposes, everything that went on this last week. God was working in those things. And again, the angels are a part of the process. When Jesus comes back, when he comes in the air, the Bible, we saw this in 1 Thessalonians specifically, that the angels are going to be used to do something. All right? It says he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. If you're a believer, if you're in the grave, you're going to hear the call. If you're, if you're still here, how many of you hope you're still here? Yeah. You're, you're, going, to, you're going to hear the call. Every, every, everybody, the four winds, and they're going to respond instantly. Anybody here ever long for a stress-free life? You'll have it. Not now, but you'll have it. I, I, I was thinking about this, and not until, I just wrote it down this morning, that what you're going to have is, is rest. See, Jesus says right now, come to me and I'll give you rest. But it does not compare with what you will have in the eternal state. And I thought of Lazarus. Boy, Lazarus in, in Luke 16 
Lazarus went through a lot, more than any of us could ever imagine. But even in that story in Luke 16, what does it say? He died. Who took him to heaven? The angels. The angels took him to heaven, took him to the the bosom of Abraham, the presence of Christ, in other words. And in that moment, and by the way, God is speaking as if he's Abraham. He says, look, he's being comforted here. So someday you will get that stress-free life. Relief, rest, refreshment from sin, temptation, trials, sorrow, loss. I could just go on and on. Every form of suffering. And, and I'll just throw one more verse in there on that day. And this will be for an attorney. He will wipe away every tear. And, and I think of those, Ed, your dear Carlita just went home to be with the Lord. He's going to wipe away every tear of loss that we experienced. Lowell, your brother, and we will be with him. Relief will be granted, though, only to those who know God through Jesus Christ. Christ's penalty of paying for our sin will be fully realized. Our transformation begun at, at, at the moment of salvation. We were wondering a minute ago, Jay, how old is Jane? Jane, how old are you? Six. That's what I thought. Jane was asking. Miss Jane was saying, how old, how old is she? I said, I think she's six. Now, it may not look like much, but Seth, when you were up there baptizing Jane, transformation started the moment that she said, I want to follow Jesus. And it's going to continue all through this life, and it will be fully realized at the moment she goes to be with Jesus Christ, with Jesus as the source. I love this passage of Scripture where The Apostle Peter encourages us not to lose heart. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. That goes all the way back to what I said at the very beginning. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Now this... And before we go on to the next section, we need to understand this. It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And folks, if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those same terminology is what we find in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, who do not obey the gospel of God. Let's go on to the last one. God will do something else. I just said that the angels have two jobs, didn't I? When Jesus comes back, He is going to pour out retribution on those, it says here, who have afflicted you and us. By the way, that, that's not an attitude that we, we, ne- we necessarily get any joy out of, their, their retribution. We do get joy out of the balancing of the books, but God says, I will pour out affliction on those who afflict you and us. 
You see, right now there is a great chasm. That's what Luke 16 talks about. That's fixed between those who are in Christ and those who are not. And, and this, as well as any other passage, speaks of the terrifying. I, you know, it is absolutely terrifying. Fate of the faithless and the heartless, I'll put that into. And again, the angels here are also agents, agents of judgment. The Son of Man will send His angels not only to gather the elect from the four corners of the, the, the earth, but He will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin, all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it will be at the close of the age, another place where it says it, Matthew 13, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, j just so you'll remember this, who said these words? Jesus said these words, not some fire and brimstone Baptist preacher. Jesus said these words. He said them with compassion because what he wanted us to do was to hear them and to turn from our sinful ways and to grasp the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what this passage says, it's only just. For God to punish evildoers with the penalty of eternal destruction away from His presence and power and glory. Now, just remember this. God's vengeance is not like ours. His is perfect and just and pure. That's why He says this. Don't avenge yourselves. Don't get a feeling when, when you hear things like this, and, and there have been Christians who have, I can't wait till that person who has hurt me gets his or gets hers. The Bible warns us very, very clearly not to ever take our own vengeance, but leave it to the wrath of God because he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. God's justice is always just. He alone sets the standard. And by the way, if we really understood the reality of our own depth of sin and depravity, we would, by the way, we would never have a problem with God's punishment of sinners in an eternal hell. But let me say this again. I said it a few moments ago. That wrath is already on us. It has been. It's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth with their unrighteousness. God will settle accounts. Of that we can be assured. And when's it going to happen? When Jesus returns. So what do we do with all of this? Seeing the mercies 
and seeing the retribution that God is going to mete out. There's only one solution. For those of us who know and who are in Jesus Christ, we can praise Him for His great salvation. For those, and there could be some here today, and you're without Jesus Christ, it's those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the only reasonable thing that you could do is to repent. Repent of the sin of playing God and fighting God. Turn by faith to the finished work of Jesus Christ that He did on Calvary's cross and ask Him to be your Lord and to save you of your sins. Would you do that today? Father, I thank you for the reality of your word. It is simple. It is deep. And Lord, we want to hear it and respond to it as we should. And so I pray that today, if there has been any encouragement for those of us who are in Christ, that we will go out of this place rejoicing that you're coming again and we can look up and see the heavens split and your angels will gather us together and we will be with you forever. But I pray also that if there is anyone who is on the other side of that chasm, even now, realizing that the wrath of God is presently on him or her, that that person would cry out to you and say, Lord, save me to the uttermost. I turn from my sins. I reach out to embrace Jesus Christ as my Savior and as my Lord. And today, Lord, I pray for that person will be the day of salvation. So help us as we ingest and digest this and help us to live it out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.